0: This is Chanel.
1: This is Anne Marie.
0: And welcome to
1: Sweet Fifteen. <laughs> this is already an improvement because last season we only had one episode. So the fact that we've made it to two, yeah, those odds, we are doing great.
0: Yeah, and we're working on our tagline. I don't know. Did we come up with one
1: yet, Anne Marie? You sent it to me. It's something about like elevating. I mean, okay. So first, I asked GPT. And then you took it away. And then I think you asked ChatGPT based on, like, the suggestions that I made. So I took what ChatGPT gave me, and then I made suggestions. Like, I adjusted it. I was like, okay, here's a good sounding board. And then I sent it to you. And then, I don't know. We're we're at um, a 50%. Okay, okay. 60? 60%. Yeah. I think, I a think good
0: so. Yeah. I think by the next episode, we'll have something, like, finalized.
1: Oh, yeah. I think, like, the episodes will inspire us. That's what I'm hoping.
0: Yeah. Uh, so for this episode, I think this is a very important topic that we'll be talking about, which will be chronic illness and health. And we'll touch a, p- a bit on like the healthcare system, especially in America. And to bring us into this topic, we have an amazing special guest here today. Yeah. So to bring us into this conversation, uh, we have a special guest here, Yasmin Shakur. And um, I'm going to let Yasmin talk a little bit about herself and give us some background of who she is.
2: Hi. um, So yeah, I'm Yasmin. I am currently living in Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm 28 years old. I was diagnosed with lupus when I was 15 years old, uh, and I've been living with chronic illness ever since. And I've been working on advocacy um, since then because not a lot of people know about what lupus is or how chronic illnesses affect people, um, especially at that age. Um, And I just recently earned my master's in public health from Emory University here in Uh, Atlanta so yeah I'm working on research now in lupus and I hope to continue to change patient outcomes for women specifically um, living with chronic illnesses so yeah
0: yeah amazing well thank you so much Yasmin, for coming here and like having this conversation with us yeah Um, I remember we met in 2018 yeah (laughs) I cannot believe that we met in Egypt and I remember you guys met in Egypt yeah we met yes. on Isaac on the Isaac project actually yeah yeah and yeah. I remember the first time I met Yasmin I was like oh my god this girl is so beautiful oh, was like, thank you. Is so beautiful <laughs> yes and I remember us talking like um you're telling me you were like in medical school or you you were at least working in like the medical field or that was like what you were planning to do
2: yeah yeah so now uh, you've
0: done your master's in like in Emory and it's like wow
2: Again,
1: yeah it's crazy like time goes so fast yeah I completely forgot yeah. you went to Egypt like that feels so long ago that feels like <laughs> four lifetimes ago
0: yeah uh.
2: it was <laughs> okay. yeah I just remember uh everybody was like there's another American girl here yes here. <laughs> And I was like, okay, like I'll meet another there. American. <laughs> yeah, it was it was really funny. But I'm glad we met because we were able to like start a friendship that's lasted for so long. Yeah. And yeah, it was nice to have somebody there that I could talk to you about American things.
0: <laughs> yeah, honestly. Yeah. And just like continually continuously like watching your stories and watching you on Instagram and I don't know if at that time you told me you had lupus or if I found out through like Instagram like months later. Mm-hmm. But I remember um it was like one of you were one of the first people that I knew that was affected by this. Mm-hmm. I had a younger cousin who also had lupus and I remember finding out at the time I didn't know what it was. Yeah. I was very like devastated because she was so young. She was a baby. Like I think we found out when she was in like late elementary school early middle school and I just didn't I just didn't understand I didn't know but I knew it wasn't a good thing
2: yeah
0: yeah yeah, and I remember like watching like seeing your Instagram and seeing how much you were pushing for awareness and Mm -hmm. I think it helped me understand understand what it was better
2: yeah so I don't know like
0: what was your like your story and your journey with it
2: yeah I was So I had symptoms ever since I was like three years old Um, and, you know, patches of my hair would fall out. I would have like skin rashes, stuff like that. And they kind of just like added it up to um, allergies. And finally, when I was 15 years old, we're getting attacked by lupus. So um, when you have lupus or an autoimmune disease, your immune system just reacts how it should not. And for me, it started to attack my kidneys. So I have lupus nephritis. Um, Which means that my kidneys were leaking protein. And what that meant for me physically was that when I was 15, I had like liquid, like just a bunch of swelling all over my body. It started with a minimal amount on my feet. And I looked at it. I remember it was in November. I looked at it and I told my mom and I was like, this looks really weird. Um, Like what's going on? And I got diagnosed in March after swelling from November so, I had put on like more than fifty pounds in just water weight, and um at the time, it was like a very scary experience because I was fifteen years old. I had no idea what was happening. I was really tired all the time um I just didn't feel like myself um and it's really scary too when you're fifteen in high school, putting on weight like dramatically and like like your legs and also losing your hair it It was really hard so mm-hmm. When I got diagnosed, the first um, the first diagnosis, like the first round of medications that I was on, it was something called rituximab, which yeah. um, it, it's a pretty strong medication and it made my hair fall out. I was on a lot of prednisone, um, so steroids, and it's just kind of been an up and down journey since then. Mm. Um, and... It hasn't stopped, and it won't stop because it is oh, illness it will continue throughout my life, but um yeah, that was basically how I got diagnosed it It started with the swelling and then it just kind of like snowballed from there um and it took a long time to get to that diagnosis, so I was really happy to get the diagnosis and then living with the side effects and everything else that comes with it it's it was really hard um but I'm here now, and I'm happy and I've learned how to live with it and you know I, I love traveling as I, I went to Egypt so <laughs> I I try really hard to not let it like hold me back from my dreams and what I want mm. uh, but yeah there is this lack of awareness and every time I've told anybody about it like oh yeah I have lupus they're like oh I've heard of that but I don't know what it is Exactly, and um, it can literally affect every person differently different parts of their bodies and it's scary because you don't know and it takes a long time to get diagnosed sometimes so yeah yeah
1: and I know you mentioned that you don't let your lupus hold you back but does it impact you on a daily basis and it's so like what what does that look like in your daily routine
2: yeah so for me so there's something called a spoon theory I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with it but it's like you have a set amount of spoons per day Per day, So let's say there's 12 spoons a day um, and you have to use those spoons wisely. And these are the things that you do in your day. So getting up and making breakfast might be like one spoon. Um, working might be three spoons. Um, hanging out with friends might be four spoons and you can borrow from another day. But then the other day you have to pay for it um, because you'll run out of spoons because you don't have enough energy. Um, so for me on a daily basis. I am affected by it. And I feel like I do have to learn how to balance when I hang out with friends, when I have that alone time, when I can take care of myself. Mm. Um, And it's something that I've learned over the years. And it's it's not easy to figure that out because sometimes you will overdo it because you're having fun. You want to like be with your friends. You want to do this. You want to do that. But every day kind of looks differently, honestly, because of that. So there's a lot of fatigue that comes with it. and just taking care of yourself on a daily basis is really, really important. Yeah.
0: I wanted to ask, like you said that you started developing or at least noticing some signs and some symptoms in November, but Mm -hmm. you didn't really get diagnosed until March. Yeah. So what was the process of like, were you going to like the doctors? Were they doing checkups and stuff? And then what was that process for you like?
2: So... What had happened actually was that when the swelling started to get a little bit worse, I think in December or something, my mom tried to make an appointment for me. Uh, But unfortunately, what was happening was that the doctor was backed up. Um, So every time I would go, I would wait for like an hour in the waiting room. And then they'd be like, oh, sorry, like, he can't see you today. Do you mind if we push it back another two weeks? And this kept happening up until my dad was with me and... He kept seeing the swelling in my feet because it was a lot of swelling. Like my legs looked like logs and he got mad and they finally took me back. Um, And that was in March. And at that point it was really bad. And they had to, as soon as that happened and they took me back, um, they were running like every single test on me. Like I had like a echo done on my heart. I had um so many blood tests every single day so i was in there for about 2 weeks just getting every single test and finally after that they were able to diagnose me with lupus and immediately sent me to the hospital um so it could have been avoided yeah. <laughs> i think um if they just you know were upfront about when to take me back and stuff like that and this was um this was my primary care doctor so um yeah, he wasn't he he didn't see patients like me and have to diagnose patients like me often. It was mostly like just normal checkups. Um so I can understand from that perspective he probably was very concerned at that point, but my appointments just kept getting pushed back by the front desk who was not aware of what my symptoms were and how intense they were. Um and I wasn't even aware honestly of how bad my symptoms were because I was just trying to play it off. I was like it's fine like I'm just, I'm just being lazy. I'm just not working out enough. I'm just eating badly or like things like that. So I kind of just blamed myself in that situation. But yeah, they they had um, just kept moving my appointment off. And initially it was like a three week hospital stay that I had to have to get kidney biopsies done, uh, lab work, everything. And yeah, it was a, it was a pretty, Intense process, I think, for me at that time. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I can see. I find that so frustrating that you had to wait so long to even get an appointment. And I feel like we see this so often with people, even if it's something like less serious and for minor issues. So I'm wondering if you have any advice for somebody going through the same situation, either about maintaining positivity or just like about the process in general and how to navigate that.
2: Yeah, I think we see that too with specialists. Like, you know, you might have like a three month waiting period to Mm -hmm. see a specialist um and it's really frustrating and the only thing you can really do is wait it out sometimes because you can try to push as much as you can to see the doctors um but if you haven't like initially like started a reputation with your doctors like it's it's hard to get them to just like see you Mm -hmm. um I know one of my friends is going through something like that right now and it's it's so frustrating and I understand that and it's Hard to go through something like that without knowing what's happening to you and your body. Um but the only thing I can say is that I did that helped me was whenever I have a new symptom and I'm looking for an answer, I do my research and I know I know sometimes people feel like some kind of way about that, but I feel like it's you should be <laughs>
1: now loves webmd she'll be like (laughs) what's wrong with me today i
2: feel like okay there's there's no if you don't use wikipedia there's a lot of resources (laughs) online (laughs) to help you but like it gets it gets overwhelming but i think i think going online does help we have so many resources at our fingertips Mm -hmm. so it's so it's so important to just read up on things sometimes um And just, I don't know, just creating a network around you of people who support you. Like, I don't, like, I cannot say, like, how thankful I am for my friends here in Atlanta, like, Mm -hmm. trying to get my MPH and, like, having random symptoms happen. And I'm like, oh, my God, I don't know what to do. And I just have somebody there just with me, talking me through it or just just sitting in the same room with me. It, like, it makes so much of a difference of, like, not feeling lonely because you can't go out and have fun with your friends, but like you can at least have somebody there with you, and like you can talk to them and like just chill with them, you know. Yeah. But yeah,
0: yeah. I want to ask, like, how has this experience impacted your relationships? Like, has it built maybe a closer community with people who have like similar experiences, or how does it affect like your friends who may not even have to even think about like dealing with their health on a daily basis?
2: I think that's something that I've learned that I prioritize now with friendships it's like I prioritize people who are like going to take my illnesses seriously who care about me and who can show that Mm -hmm. and like you know when you're younger you're just kind of like oh I just want to fit in I just want to be friends with people um especially when you're 15 in high school um So I think it has really affected how I look at friendships in general and relationships too, Mm -hmm. Um, because it just, it's so different. Like, I have to be more aware of like, my energy levels. And like, if I have a friend there who can just look at me and be like, okay, I think Yasmin's had enough. I'm like, let's go because I will just say like, yeah, I can keep going. It's fine. Like, I'll just deal with it later. Like, don't worry about it. And having people that actually care about that, like care about how you feel is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I recently did did my uh, thesis on lupus and relationships and how they're impacted. And I think it was a common denominator among all the women that I spoke to. Um, these were all minority women that they needed to have a support system and they often felt isolated. Mm-hmm. Um because of their symptoms and to me that was so sad because i also have lupus and i know exactly what they're talking about like oh no i have so much like um happening with my body i don't know what to do i can't go out and have fun like with my friends normally um so yeah i i think it's it's definitely changed how i view relationships and how i will continue to develop relationships um and I guess it, it is more of like I have like a close group of friends that help me through it and my like rock I would say is definitely my family um which I'm very fortunate to have but yeah uh yeah I think it's cool. and so you
1: mentioned the importance of setting boundaries and listening to your body how did you kind of develop that intuition within yourself and how do you just stay true to it
2: I think it had to do over time with going through friend breakups like friend breakups are really hard um <laughs> friend breakups are the worst. <laughs> they're like heartbreaking and like I I went through a couple because like I I really like having like close friendships with people and like just to having those friend breakups and realizing like over time like okay like you know this didn't work out but why didn't it work out and just like kind of looking at that and seeing where where I needed to take myself it was most important I, I don't know if that makes sense to you guys but like
0: no, it does. It, exactly. yeah
2: yeah it just I think that was one of the main things that encouraged me to like look at my friendships and look at the people I have in my life and especially moving um to do my MPH here I I met a lot of people who were more aware of like what it is to have a chronic illness and what it is to have something that impacts me on a daily basis and I think that made a huge difference for me when I started to look at my friendships and how I developed them Um, because that's not something you find commonly and it's good to have people in your life that care about that so even if it's just a few people I would rather I'd rather do that and setting those boundaries I think once I started to set those boundaries and I started to see those friendships develop and how good I felt in those relationships I was like you know what I'm not going back to that I'm gonna just take care of myself and like I'm gonna make sure that I nurture the friendships that are nurturing me um well (laughs) and it just it's like it's a two-way street so I've I've learned so much from it and I've learned so much from the good friendships that I've had Mm -hmm. um but it's taken so I'm 28 now so it's definitely taken some time um in my early twenties, I was not looking for all of this. I was just like, I want to have fun. I want to go out. I want to party. And like now, I'm like, I don't want to do that. I want to have friendships that like mean like have meaningful and deep connections. Um, but that's that's how I've I've kind of like developed. And I think it might be also just be an age thing cause, like
0: I was just about to say, I think something yeah. with
2: age. Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes I think back in my early 20s and like, uh, like what I was doing and I'm like, wow, I, uh, <laughs> I'm glad I grew up since then. But, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, yeah. I
1: was just going to say, I feel like I like to think of my life as a movie. And so like my early 20s were kind of like the character development stage. Um, yeah. And now we're into like the climax. Hopefully.
2: Yeah. yeah I hope so too as I like as I'm getting closer to 30 I'm like okay things are getting like it doesn't matter that I'm gonna turn 30 but at the same time I'm starting to actually develop like I I don't know just understanding more of like who I am and like (laughs) the course of that yeah yeah and it's funny you say you think of like your life as a movie because like I think of my life as like an ocean of like just like going through the wave just like you gotta hit you're gonna hit the top but then you're gonna come back down (laughs) you're gonna keep going and like it's just gonna keep going so (laughs) yeah
0: yeah I'm between like my life being a sitcom and (laughs) a roller coaster
1: your life is a roller coaster it is not. like
0: I'm watching a sitcom on a roller coaster
1: I'm watching you and you're the sitcom but for you it's a roller coaster
2: (laughs) Yeah. but I was
0: also gonna say like friendships are a sense of self-care
2: yes yeah I found like that's that's what I keep finding is like there's so many friendships that like can just like feed your soul and like it's so important to just have those friendships in your life and mm. um, it takes time to develop them too um and I found for me friendships are way more important to me than like a really relate- like romantic partner like I just find that like the friendships that I have in my life especially the women that I have in my life, like just yeah. having good women, like in your life to like support you and like to grow. It just, it makes so much of a difference, like comparatively to like having a relationship where like you're always stressed all the time or like, you know, <laughs> I
1: mean, I wasn't going to say it, but I'm glad you
2: did. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I don't know. I've taken a break from all of that because I just feel like it's, it's hard. Like, to balance like yourself is especially with a chronic illness to balance yourself and then to find somebody who cares about that, it's hard. And I find like it's harder for me to find that
0: mm.
2: outside of like my friendships. So I just take it like one step at a time, keep going, and like, yeah, yeah, oh,
0: that's all we want for you. Just with step at <laughs> a um. Okay.
2: I actually did want to
0: come back to what you mentioned previously about the women of color that you kind of like spoke to in for your research um, about what their process was like being women of color in this process, the journey and like advocating for their health.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, that study that I did, it was really impactful for me um, to speak to other women who went through the same thing as me. Mm-hmm. and. When they were going through the process of how they were um, advocating for themselves in the setting of healthcare, um, I think it was a common theme that they were like a little hesitant and a little like it depended on their physician, how comfortable they felt with their physician. And I was looking at reproductive health. So, you know, that was something that for me, it's really important to learn about that because there's not a lot of research out there about it. And like um, a lot of women felt specifically for reproductive health it came down to like they speak a lot about like the baby and the health of the baby and this and that and they don't actually like speak a lot about the health of the woman after and a lot of women were just concerned for themselves because they didn't know how they'd be cared for afterwards um and when it came to support groups like or support that they had around them a lot of them named their family as support around them and I think that was important because I I feel like especially like for me like I'm I'm Guyanese
0: with uh, Serena Williams like I remember this was a really big deal about how she was dealing with some very um, hard complications through her pregnancy and then her doctors didn't take her seriously. Mm-hmm. And I've also seen certain studies that talked about how when especially women of color like we're told so much that like you're not supposed to feel pain um you're just supposed to like cover it up so when we go into these medical and to like the doctors and stuff they we can't really measure or scale what our pain is because our tolerance of pain has become so much higher because of like this um programming we've had and bring this back to also your story Mm -hmm. also coming from like a Caribbean background and also this same mindset of like oh like maybe it's my fault I put the blame on me why I'm having these issues you said for a while you like you didn't feel like like you were able to actually see the symptoms or say oh this is a problem right yeah so I don't know like were you able to like see these parts in the study and I mean of course like you may not have the answer yeah. but how do you think like as women of color we should be going forward advocating for ourselves and making sure that our pain is being heard.
2: Yeah. I think within the study too, I found like, yeah, I had 80% African-American women in my study. Mm -hmm. Um, And I found that, you know, they were trying to seek help. It just like, it was, it's a hard process. And within like the lupus community, yeah. most people who are diagnosed with lupus are african-american in america mm-hmm. and it does mostly affect m- minority women uh which i think is interesting because it takes so long for people to get diagnosed Yeah. when they're complaining of these symptoms and like i i don't i just i don't have a set answer but like for just me like <laughs> i <laughs> whenever i go to the doctor and i'm not feeling well and I'm thinking to myself oh my god I'm being overdramatic they're not taking me seriously like I'm doing too much I'm not and like I've had to learn that over time because people will look at you when you have an illness like lupus and they see like a normal person they don't see that you have an illness and it's not something that is visible um but it is if you actually look at the patient and if you just like listen to them speak about it and I think one of the most impactful like quotes that I had from one of the studies uh, one of the patients that I um interviewed was that like just listen like I just need you to listen Mm -hmm. and like that it's it's so true like you just need somebody to listen to you to take you seriously because it just takes one doctor or one one nurse to look at you and be like okay I believe you and to keep going but it took a long time for me to break out that mentality because like I didn't know like and there's a lot of times where you like you think that it's you and you just shift the blame and like I could be doing so much better I could be doing this I could be doing that and like it's literally your body not working well and you need to like learn how to deal with that Mm -hmm. um and there's no like set way to do that but yeah, it, it it can be really frustrating, honestly, and I, I felt, I really felt for the women that I was, like, speaking with in this, like, the 10 women that I spoke to, I just, I could relate to all of them, which is crazy, but it's true, like, I could relate to every single one of their stories that they were telling me, and, um, we might have different symptoms, but, like, we all go through very, very similar stories.
1: Mm-hmm and on the flip side i'm wondering what do you think the american healthcare system can do to better protect women and people of color yeah.
2: i think i think for for a lot of women of color too i i found that like they want physicians who are also women of color and i i understand that because it makes it makes a difference i, I i'm not sure what the american healthcare system could do right now other than like encourage more women for women of color to be in like become rheumatologists or like you know work in the field, but like I-, I think that it's just also if you are a physician out there or a medical provider, you have to understand that some people are going through a lot, and I think that's something that I saw in the ER is like you kind of become jaded to like people who are coming in because you mm-hmm. see so many different things happening. And once you take a step back from that, like once I took a step back from the ER, I worked in the ER for like five years um, before I started uh, my MPH. And I think that's where I learned a lot of like, a lot of like how people don't know about chronic illnesses. Um, And I think that by educating people, it can make a difference outside And just paying attention to that because I don't think there's a lot of education when it comes to that yeah sorry i cut you off
1: no no i just wanted to clarify so by people do you mean like patients coming in or
2: yeah 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 it was um i i saw a lot of well i worked on the patient business side um but as somebody who has a chronic illness i saw a lot of patients come in with like other chronic illnesses and um i think what happens a lot is that people are just really uneducated about what these chronic illnesses are and how they affect the body Mm -hmm. like fully. And um, and that was one of my biggest motivating factors about continuing research um, and trying to learn how I can be part of the education system of like teaching people about what lupus is, not just lupus, but other chronic illnesses, other other things that cause um, people to have to go to the emergency room and get those things done, like get help. Um, Because even for me, like I hesitate to go to the emergency room because it's like, well, are they gonna understand that I have lupus and like that these things will, like an infection is a little bit worse for me or like I have like more sensitivities because I've been through so much like different, you know, medications and different um, just sicknesses.
0: Yeah. I think, um, I guess this Instagram model that I love following, and she was going through this, uh, she was getting, she had eczema, and she was saying, like, she's never had it like this before, and she just couldn't figure out what it was, and she went to multiple doctors, and nobody knew what it was, and then it probably took a few months for her to finally get the diagnosis, and it was lupus, and she felt, she said she felt so relieved like so much relief just knowing like what the problem was and yeah. I think that's the thing like sometimes people just they just want to find an answer or just make sure that someone is like listening that just so they don't feel so lost in the dark and I think that's why awareness is so important like maybe she heard more stories about other people who had this or um, I don't know just had more resources out there than yeah. it would have taken her so long and so many other people so long to get the sense of relief like okay now that i know what's happening now i can move forward and know like how to deal with it
2: yeah and i, I think that's one of the main things like the motivating factor that a lot of people have like having a diagnosis because it's like okay well now i have an answer to what is causing all these issues mm-hmm. and i think that's really important because even if there is like no cure for it's like said illness it's still like now you know what you're dealing with and then Now you can kind of take a breather and be like, Oh my God, I don't know what's happening to my body. And just know. Um, And I think when you get the diagnosis, it just, I don't know. It just helps. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And in your dream world, what does education look like? Is this something we're teaching students in like primary school, middle school, college, like, and what kind of information are we sharing with people so that they're more aware just a variety of chronic illnesses.
2: I think a lot of the education I I I think of that needs to be done would be more on like in medical school sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think from what I know, there's not a lot of education when you when you're in medical school about like lupus specifically. It's like I remember somebody told me like it was a slide on one of their on one of their like lectures and I was like, okay, well, it's actually a really complicated disease, <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I think just working on educating like healthcare providers it's really important because if if a patient's showing up with like you know the symptoms that are like textbook lupus, it makes it makes a difference to have somebody there that can help you. And like I think another thing that I think of is like. There was one time I had an infection and I was um given Bactrim for Mm -hmm. uh, for the infection which is like a normal medication to take but if you have lupus it can cause a lupus flare Mm -hmm. and I was totally unaware of that and I bought this book it was like the lupus encyclopedia and in there it says like you should not be taking Bactrim if you're on lupus and to me that was so scary because it's like well I feel like that should be known by the healthcare providers, but they didn't. And every time I go to the doctor, I'm like, I have lupus. Like that's the first thing that comes out of my mouth because I want them to be aware. But I think for me, I I would want my healthcare providers to be aware of what it is and like how it affects people's bodies. And if they are unaware, just being upfront about that and just saying that there's like, I, I would rather know that the provider doesn't know about it ahead of time than to, like, keep going and, like, not not getting the care that I deserve and need. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, yeah.
1: And that's so scary. Like, you would think that you're going to a medical professional and the whole point is to fix whatever is bothering you. For them mm-hmm. to not even know the right thing to treat you with, is it's kind of scary. That's their job. It's literally yeah. their job. Yeah, where's my insurance money going
2: towards?
1: (laughs) (laughs) You had one One (laughs) job.
2: Yeah, it is like, and that's the thing. Like, I find that a lot. Like, on Instagram, I I follow a lot of other like people who are talk about their chronic illnesses, and I like every every person who has lupus is like, or like any sort of like, not common illness. You know, that's something like they're like, oh, they didn't know or, like, they were confused about this or that, and it's, to me, that's scary, and I, I want there to be more education, and I, especially, like, when I was speaking to the minority women with reproductive health, I felt like they were just lacking in education, and, like, if you're going to your providers, I think there should be a little bit more education, and that's what it would look like, like, these are the medications you're taking, and this is, like, the side effects, and, like, I know that you can look that up online and sometimes there is like some like educational pieces that they'll like give you like a paper, yeah. um, but it's, it's not consistent. I found, and if there was a consistent way to educate people on that, it would be a lot better. Um, but um, I, I think it really depends on your providers as well, too. Yeah.
1: Is it possible to see like a specialist for lupus or?
2: Yeah. So the specialist for lupus is a rheumatologist. Okay. Um, and oftentimes that is also backed up because there is not that many rheumatologists. Um, so um, patients will have to wait like months to get like a, you know, just an initial visit with their rheumatologist. So, yeah.
0: Like room. Um, that, does that, does that stand for something with the lungs or? um. So it's like
2: the, the, rheumatologists they take yeah, care the of
0: the latin word the latin root for it
2: i don't know what the root is for but they take care of like arthritis a lot oh so. okay so, oh, yeah
0: yeah yeah a little bit of my anthropology uh, <laughs> is coming back yeah. going back to her latin roots as
1: soon as you said that i was like having flashbacks to high school i was like please don't
0: take me guys. yeah i said oh,
1: what was
0: it and physiology something that was in high school
2: Okay, okay. I'd have to look that up, but I know it's they do like bones. It's like bones. Yeah. I check that out. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, I was very right off. I was very right off. <laughs> okay,
1: room, the Latin root word is rhumatitius. Room itself is a Greek word that means flow. And you spelled it how? It's- is a- it like r-h-u-m e-u-m
2: yeah r-h-u-m yeah it
1: was first ascribed to the disease of rheumatism because of the way it seems to spread or flow within a patient's body okay interesting but that's just vocabulary.com i've never heard of this website so i'm not really sure if that's accurate but you know we're <laughs> not citing those sources i
0: mean we're citing sources but we <laughs> <laughs> <You> can verify <laughs> <laughs> oh Okay, okay, so I don't know, I feel like this is something we could talk about all day, oh yeah, so yeah. I don't know. I just want to ask you Yasmin, like what do you think is like the main point you want people to walk away from, like this conversation
1: with?
2: I think um, if you have an illness or chronic illness, it's okay to ask for help. I think that's what my main um message I would want to tell people, and it's important to build a community around you that supports you and it makes a huge difference in your life um. Mm-hmm. And for those who don't know about chronic illnesses or how it may affect people, um, it probably affects one of your friends, at least one of your friends. And you might not be aware of it. Um, but if they do let you in and they do speak to you about it, just just be there for them. Listen to them. Um, I think one of the main things that like, I feel... I'm like so touched by it is like when I tell somebody I have lupus and they're like I don't know what that is but let me look it up Mm -hmm. and just like they try to do some research on it and they're like so I want to ask you like how can I help you or how can I be in your life like how can I be there with you and I think that makes a difference um so if you are one of those people that's I think that's one of the biggest things it's like if I have somebody who cares about me like that, it makes, it makes me feel so special and so loved. Mm -hmm. Um, and also if you're a healthcare provider, just like, I don't know, just listen,
1: get it together. Listen.
2: Yeah. like (laughs) Just listen. I think, you know, there's still a lot of research to be done. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I think a lot of the times patients are aware when something's wrong with their body and, um, Patients know a lot about their bodies and they can feel Mm -hmm. how things have changed. And it might not be obvious at first, but just believe them and listen to them. Um, That's all I can really say about that. Oh,
0: thank
1: you. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast and talking about this, like this, this issue, this important topic like honestly I, I say it all the time I always say it like I find the way you advocate for this so inspiring I am not sure if that's a right word but that's how I feel <laughs> I think it's the perfect oh. word what
2: I, said? Yeah. I
1: think it's the perfect word perfect word okay.
2: yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, I just want to let people in because I feel like a lot of the times I can put up this brave face but I I think it makes a difference to learn like you learn from seeing what actually happens and like just talking about it and not everyone's comfortable with that and I completely understand that but I'm comfortable with speaking about it so I don't mind talking about it and having other people learn about it
0: and that's the thing because yes it's inspiring but it's the way that you're so vulnerable about being open about the situation what's happening like in the moment and you don't put up the mask you don't put up like okay everything's fine everything's okay like i see i see your highs i see your lows and like honestly yeah, has I mean, like <laughs> that's that's all the words i have <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, thank you that means a lot it's it's Yeah.
0: <laughs> and with that i'm gonna tell everyone to go and follow you on instagram you want to see your handle
2: Yeah, so it's just my first and last name. So it's Yasmin, Y-A-S-M-I-N-E dot Shakur, S-H-A-K-U-R. Yeah, Yeah.
1: and I'll I'll put it in in the description and everything too, so. Exactly.
2: Yeah, Yeah. well, thanks, Chanel. It means a lot to me.
1: (laughs) I think it's so incredible how, like you said, when you're living with chronic illness, it is something you could probably hide from the outside and people Mm -hmm. wouldn't even know. So like Chanel said, just being so vulnerable is really empowering.
2: Thank you. Yeah, I think it's really hard. And it took me some time to like open up about it. Like I was when I first was diagnosed, I was like, I don't want anybody to like, know that I have an illness, like, they're gonna judge me, they're gonna treat me differently. And I'm like, no, I think over time, I learned that, like, I think I need somebody to just talk about it. And that was the main thing with me. Like, when I started to talk about it on socials, I was like, when I was 15 and diagnosed, I did not see anybody that looked like me that had this illness. And it freaked me out because I was like, oh my God, like, am I the only one? And I'm not. And that's the thing, like, just having somebody to look at that might have the same illness as you and, or be going through something similar to you, it just, it makes a difference. And it makes you feel less alone, less isolated. Yeah. So once again, thank you,
0: thank you, thank you. Uh,
1: And
0: I guess we'll be closing out the episode so how are we, how are supposed to do it? <laughs> Is that like uh, in the first episode, uh, one of my boyfriends, Chad, uh, aka Chad GPT, um, <laughs> he recommended us to close the episode saying, "tape Take a deep breath," and I forgot what he said. Something about cleansing music or something like this. I don't know. He said something real weird. It was weird. <laughs> it was really so we decided to make it weirder so we're going to close out the episode and we're going to say take a deep breath and and then you yasmin as our guest will say the first thing that comes to your mind
1: are you ready but now yeah. i feel like you we've already explained it to her so she's already thinking like this what is we my like, chat we chat, chat the way chat wants the end the episode doesn't make any sense because now we have to explain it to her and now look, look i'm i'm talking she's already thinking about a million things to say <laughs> This is dumb. Are you ready?
2: <laughs> uh, I could try to be here. <laughs> okay,
1: okay. <laughs> so Okay, ready?
2: <coughs>
1: so yeah. take a deep breath and
2: have a good day. <laughs> <laughs> i actually that, not no. That's the best no, no. one so far. So
1: far. Out of our two episodes this season, but way yeah. better than ours last time. We
0: put you on the spot with that one. We understand. I, yeah, I'm sorry.
1: I thought it was good. Like, she was like, have a good day. Podcast is done. Exactly. Sweet 15 out.
0: The recording has stopped.